Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to SEAC Stories. This podcast is brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. SEAC is a university-wide multidisciplinary initiative that facilitates collaborations and builds on the expertise of our researchers to address the region's challenges. This podcast tells the stories of our members, exploring and sharing their research in and across the region. Welcome to SEAC Stories. I'm Natalie Pearson. Today, we're going to be getting a farmer's perspective on improving food security in Laos and Cambodia by looking at smallholder livestock health and production. To discuss this, I am joined by Associate Professor Russell Bush, an expert in applied livestock production within the School of Veterinary Science at the University of Sydney. Russell leads a number of research and teaching activities in Southeast Asia and also in Australia. Welcome, Russell. Hi, Natalie. I was really interested to learn that not only do you research and teach about livestock, but that you are in fact also a cattle and sheep producer in southern New South Wales with over 45 years experience. How does this inform your work with smallholder farmers in Laos and Cambodia? Yeah, I feel being a farmer provides greater empathy when addressing or even assessing potential challenges that smallholder farmers face. Often these challenges are similar to what farmers face in Australia whether it be increased cost of production, variable returns as far as product value is concerned, government policy, and variation in seasons. Um, Having the extended or defined wet and dry season, then either being an extended dry season and short wet season, leading to poor nutrition for animals or poor growth of nutrition, and also um, an extended wet season where you get flooding, which then also impacts on how the farmers can produce. So lots of the problems are, are very similar to what we experience here in Australia. Their ability to meet these challenges um, is slightly different. Being on a small scale, they don't have the capacity to be able to really absorb some of the changes and impacts. So often these challenges are quite magnified compared to what we experience. But having that understanding assists me when going on farm, talking to the farmers. I've got that background understanding and I often introduce myself as a farmer from Australia and that assists in building that rapport, that confidence and credibility that's so important in projects in other countries. Yeah, I really like that you're bringing your lived experience to your research projects as well. I'm I'm sure it really does contribute to developing trust with the people that you're working with in Laos and Cambodia. You talked about the difference in size between the farms. When we talk about smallholders in a Laos or Cambodian context, how many cattle or sheep or goats would they have? Good question. So the size um, does vary, but... In a lot of villages, it's around one hectare in size is an average size farm, and it may have one or two head of cattle or buffalo, maybe some poultry, and poultry is sort of the entry-level agriculture, so it's subsistence level. Everyone has a few hens running around the village, and that provides um, a source of protein in the form of eggs and birds that they can utilise for food. Um, They may have pigs or they may have goats, and that's sort of the next step. And then the large ruminants, so the cattle and buffalo, is the more affluent farmers within the village. And so we deal with all levels, but primarily with the large ruminant producers because that's where the greatest potential lies as far as improvement in their production. And through working with those farmers, the aim is that 
any benefits can be then conveyed throughout the village. So by working with the sort of the top end, they're going to drag up the other farmers benefiting and improving their livelihood through increased incomes. Yeah, I think that's one of the really interesting aspects about this research, that it's not just about livestock production and increasing productivity, but it's about the flow on effects for women and children, for example. And we might come to that later. But first of all, I want to ask you about these big projects that you've been involved in, these multi-year projects looking at livestock research for development. And they're funded by the Australian Centre for International Agricultural Research, or ACR. Can you introduce us to these projects and tell us how they relate to each other? Okay, so I've been working in Laos and Cambodia since 2006 on previous projects managed by Professor Peter Windsor. Those projects, my involvement included primarily improving the nutrition that the livestock were receiving. They were both large ruminant projects, so cattle and buffalo. Cattle mostly in Cambodia, um, increased emphasis on buffalo in more than Laos. Those projects then evolved into these three new projects that I led. And again, both countries in Cambodia, we had a project on sort of a combined village-wide approach to livestock health and production. So primarily looking at cattle, the health and production implications, but also extending that to pigs and poultry. Often farmers, when they do improve their incomes, they start to diversify the enterprises that they manage on their farm. This increases their capacity to earn a more steady income. If they've got one or two cattle, then the income they'll get is mainly in one lump sum when they sell those animals or if they have calves. If they extend to pigs and poultry, it's a shorter life cycle. There's more capacity to earn income. So if they've got poultry, they can sell eggs, which gives a weekly income. If they have pigs, they'll have piglets that they can then sell into the meat market. So that increases their regularity of obtaining a more constant income compared to a big lump in one part of the year. In Laos, we had two projects, one focusing on the health aspects. So we had three intervention groups. One was biosecurity, which is an interesting concept, but one important because vaccine availability and, and efficacy is questionable. Even the cold storage of that vaccine may not be well maintained in order for that vaccine to be viable. So looking at a system where they didn't have to rely on vaccination to protect animals from the disease was something that we investigated versus a vaccination treatment and a combined biosecurity vaccination approach. So that was one project. The other was a beef supply chain project. So looking at improving the amount of beef that could be produced in country and comparing northern versus southern Laos. So northern Laos is quite mountainous, what's referred to as upland country, so a lot of open grazing. Southern Laos is very similar to Cambodia, so very flat, a lot of rice production, more malnutrition in animals because that lack of free grazing and more reliance on grazing stubble of crops or residues. So quite different environments, but both... Um, important given the increased demand for for beef within that Southeast Asian region. So does Laos export beef? They do. They traditionally exported to Vietnam, but with some political changes in more recent years, the dominance of China's sort of superseding that. So instead of sending animals to Vietnam, they're being directed towards China. 
And that has um, additional implications because given the increased demand from China, animals are being imported from Bangladesh that are moving through Myanmar, through Cambodia, through Laos, up into China. And each time they move along a main thoroughfare, there's risk of if they have disease, then that disease being spread to the local population. So again, having strategies in place to protect local animals from the introduction of disease is extremely important. So what sort of strategies are there? Okay, so the strategies in place, one is vaccination. So ensuring that a supply of good quality, reliable vaccine is administered at appropriate times and is capable of protecting the animals against the disease, with foot and mouth disease. There's a number of strains, so having the capacity to understand what strains are active and what vaccine needs to be administered is extremely important. So we do promote the use of multivalent vaccines, so they do cover a number of strains. But if there's a new introduction, then that isn't covered by the strain. And this is where it's important for farmer engagement because if we're promoting vaccination to protect animals from disease and they administer a a vaccine that doesn't protect from a strain that's active in the environment, then the farmers will come back to us and say the vaccine doesn't work. So they'll be reluctant to spend money. And that's what we're aiming for, greater sustainability for the farmers to value the vaccine in order to, when the project finishes, that they are willing to pay for that vaccine, knowing that it's going to protect their animals. There are a lot of concerns about humane treatment in live cattle export. Is that something that your project looks at? No, we don't. And the same applies to slaughtering practices within country. We'd like to look at the food safety issues within slaughterhouses. But at this stage... That's an area that hasn't been supported by Australian funding sources because it's quite controversial. Their practices in the whole are quite humane and quite efficient, but there are some operators that aren't. And the controls that government have over the slaughtering process may not necessarily be implemented across industry. So that has a flow on effect. But Yeah, the idea would be to really foster the food safety component and almost by stealth bringing in practices that are are going to assist that but also be best practice as far as that slaughtering process is concerned. Just an additional point with the vaccination. We found with our administering of the vaccines and tagging the animals to identify the animals, the traders would identify or associate tagged animals with increased resilience against disease. So they would, A, pay more for those animals and selectively seek those animals to purchase, especially if they were being exported. So there was an additional benefit from just tagging the animals, um, but knowing that those animals had a history of protection against disease. Mm, That's a great outcome um, for the farmers and for the, the animals and for the project. Exactly. So one of the key features of these projects is that they draw on multidisciplinary teams. Why is this important? Because we're looking at a real-world holistic view and that environment includes not only the farmers, it includes the support people advising 
the farmers and acting in extension roles. It's looking at the economics or the financial impact of not only the diseases, but remediation strategies. So how much the farmers can increase their, their income, which then flows onto the livelihoods. And overarching all of this is the capacity to work effectively within a foreign environment. So being very culturally aware and being aware of the social drivers within each of the contexts, so whether it's at the farm level, at the advisory level, you know, what's behind people's thinking, how we can utilise that to then devise strategies that will firstly work and be adopted. It's no use going in and saying, this is what you should be doing, because A, we haven't the credibility that we mentioned before, or the trust, so we need to build that trust. And the best way to build that is to be good listeners and be culturally aware. So when you do talk to the farmers and their families, you understand what their key concerns, their key challenges are, and then um, provide suggestions that they can consider and adopt and ensuring that the initial interventions we know will work, then that's where you build trust because they can see the benefits in being involved in the project. Often their incentive is handouts, but we don't want to foster that. We want to foster knowledge as a benefit. And to do that, you need to be able to provide really good outcomes in the initial initiatives and then build on those interventions in order to create better outcomes as we progress through the project. So it sounds like that multidisciplinary input really contributes to the sustainability of the project, even beyond the life of the project. Initially, and as we progress, because we we want to make sure that we, we do our checks and balances, what we introduce, we want to make sure it's working. If we have poor adoption, we want to understand why there's poor adoption and what we might be able to do better in order to improve that adoption. So we talked before about this growing demand for protein in the form of animal meat in China and also in Vietnam. And in Laos and Cambodia themselves, demand for protein is growing by more than 4% per annum. How are they going in meeting this demand? Still quite a challenge. So that demand and the um, emergence of a disease such as African swine fever that's wiped out a lot of the pig population in China has actually amplified that problem. So there's a more of a move towards beef, even goats. So the demand's strong and, and prices associated with that demand is strong. But the downside is that there's a potential for farmers to sell animals, to cash in on that demand, but not have the breeding stock retained to be able to build up numbers and then look at it more strategically over a longer period of time. So the short-term gains in increased income will be offset by longer-term shortages or major shortages, which may then be counterbalanced by those countries seeking livestock, for example, from Australia, which is going to be more expensive than what could be locally sourced. Um, one thing I'd like to say is that increased demand conveying to increased incomes then also translates to increased opportunities for the families within the villages. I do actually want to talk to you about that, about how 
improved health and production are not the only outcomes of the work that you're doing. And as you said, we see benefits flowing through to things like better education outcomes for children and overall improved household livelihoods and food security. So can you tell us more about these broader outcomes? Probably the best way is a case study that we conducted with a family in Cambodia. An intervention we introduced was growing forages close to the house. So this has increased nutritional value, increased growing capacity compared to the roadside grasses that they would usually um, utilise. Plus, there's time saving. So growing feed resource at the household, we found saved in excess of two hours per day in what would be used by family members, primarily children, going out and cutting the grass, which would only partially meet the requirements of the animals anyway. So there was time savings, and that time was then utilised in the children going to school for an extra two hours a day. The increased income from the farmer who started off with two head of cattle, suddenly expanded to six head of cattle over time. He built housing for those animals, so they were being kept under better conditions. He expanded into poultry, and this enabled him to collect eggs and sell on a daily basis, so that provided a weekly income. He has three daughters. The eldest two, through this increased income, he sent to university in Phnom Penh. And he had um, already the youngest daughter who was completing high school. Um, she had vision of that was where she was going to follow her elder sisters. And they were working or they're studying programs such as nursing, health, other skills that they were then wanting to bring back to their regional area. So for us, that was a, a really good example of what um, a project and some um, assistance and direction can achieve on a, a greater level. I really like that example. I find it really exciting to hear about the new pathways it's creating by engaging the women of the household and creating education opportunities for them and for their children. So that is a fantastic case study. I hope there's many more like them. Yes, there are. That's only one, but it's just a good example of summarising the benefits that can be achieved. Now, one of the things that really strikes me with your research and your approach is that you seem to be quite good at maximising efficiency and effectiveness. So you make a point, for example, of aligning research project activities with the university's curriculum, and you also place a great deal of emphasis on disseminating your research results, for example, through this podcast. So can you expand on these, perhaps starting with this idea of alignment with the projects and the curriculum? Yes, yeah, so in both Cambodia and Laos, the number of graduates coming out of university and the skill level that they have attained that allows them to be effective extension operators is a little bit constrained at the moment, especially more so Laos than than Cambodia. So being applied projects where our stakeholders are primarily smallholder farmers, aligning our research objectives with small research projects that can be conducted by staff and students at the university or allowing our team to interact with the university, it really introduces the students and the staff teaching those students to what applied on-farm research is all about. Now, on-farm research is quite challenging as far as you are not able to manage the environment. So there can be quite a few variabilities as far as the data and that needs to be managed. But it's important because it's real life. So instead of having an artificial environment and monitoring what's happening there, on farm, this is what's expected outcomes are going to be 
in real terms. So aligning the staff and students with projects that investigate that is a really valuable learning experience for them. So it allows them to build capacity through improved skills and knowledge. And it gives them also a connection with the farmer. Often researchers work in their own bubble and they don't necessarily communicate with farmers. Yet the farmers are the ones that are closest to the action they know what the constraints are and the, the key problems impacting their ability to produce. So just promoting that communication between researchers and farmers is a, a valuable outcome as well. Then on the research side, um, we've run training on how to compile a literature review, how to um, set up a research project as far as the numbers of animals you need to include in a, a study um, how to collect data and clean the data and analyse the data and then write up the results and present the results orally as well as in written form. So these are all skills that can be quite beneficial to the students who will end up working as extension officers out in the field, but also the staff that are teaching these cohorts of students that will build that capacity within the country. And I've also met a number of your students here at the University of Sydney who've had the opportunity to participate in these projects as honours or masters or PhD students. And that's been another area that we've really promoted. It's that multiple levels of benefits. So one is the cultural Australian students interacting with Laos students or Cambodian students. Um, we've had individual mobility opportunities through New Colombo Plan funding. We ran a field school in Laos a couple of years ago where we really involved the, the university um, in Laos. And seeing the, the students interact um, both on a professional level with activities that we've organised, whether it's field visits to villages, uh, sporting interactions, so they played volleyball. Just seeing that cultural interaction is as beneficial as what the professional benefits are obtained. Russell, it has been an absolute pleasure learning more about your research. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Natalie. Thanks for the opportunity. You've been listening to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. Make sure to keep up with all our SEAC Stories podcasts by following us on your favourite podcasting app. If you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, let your friends know about us on social media.